Yo. <laughs> Thanks again for checking out another edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm 12 Kyle. Then again, if you're listening to this podcast, you should know that by now. <laughs> if you haven't done so already, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. You can find this podcast just about anywhere. We're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, Overcast FM, Pocket Cast, Google Play, and of course, you can catch me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So there's no reason not to subscribe to this podcast. All right, so on this particular podcast, what we're talking about today is uh, if you've been following the podcast, we've been breaking down some of the best hip hop albums from 1996. On this podcast, we're going to give you the definitive certified top five hip hop albums from 1996. We'll break it down, tell you why, how they came about to be. And if you agree or disagree, let me know. So right now, what you need to do, grab a pen and pad, turn your speakers up, because class is about to be in session. So we're going to drop the theme music, and we're going to get this podcast cracking. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast. As I mentioned in the intro, we're talking about the top hip-hop albums from 1996. I think before you delve into the albums, you kind of have to get an idea as to what was actually happening in 1996. A couple of things stood out to me. Um, obviously, in 1996, Bill Clinton was re-elected president of the United States. Uh, we had the uh, Atlanta Olympics in 1996, which were subsequently uh, bombed uh, tragically. And we also had Motorola actually introduce the world's smallest and lightest cell phones. Um, cell phones really weren't popping back then, but they were just about to take off. And in sports, uh, Michael Jordan led the Chicago Bulls uh, to a 72-10 and 10 regular season uh, culminating the season with a championship after beating the Seattle Supersonics four games to two. As far as hip hop was concerned, hip hop uh, was in the headlines seemingly for all the wrong reasons uh, with this East Coast West Coast beef slash rivalry. Um, honestly, looking back on it, it was stupid. And I've said this many times, it was stupid. It was something that I think was fueled and perpetuated by the media. Um, it was something that Vibe Magazine in particular had a huge hand in. Uh, because again, we didn't have the internet back then. So a lot of the stuff that was being said was hearsay and speculation. Um, and then the rivalry kind of took its own life of its own and, and things kind of spiraled out of control. Obviously, you had situations where you had Pac, Tupac Shakur making songs like Hit Em Up. And then you had Mob Deep. They got into the fray. Uh, they, <laughs> they hit him with Drop a Gem on him. 
Uh, just and and it's not to say that hip hop didn't have disc records back then, but I guess the thing was was like when you saw a Mob Deep coming at Tupac, uh, that's when you realized the beef was really really on. Um, you know, honestly, there's a lot of people that remain silent uh, on both coasts throughout this, uh, but you had West Side Connection coming out telling folks to bow down that the West Side was the best side. Um, again, looking back on it, it was dumb. And I, I think that one of the things that we learned is that if we allow it to, you know, things can spiral out of hand very quickly and escalate very quickly. Uh, I remember a Snoop and Dog Pound shooting a video in New York City and their, you know, trailer got shot up or something like that. I mean, like it was all kinds of crazy stories and, you know, there was fear from east coast artists that they couldn't go to california or the west coast and vice versa and so all of this culminated with the fact that music still had to be made uh ultimately you know one of the sad byproducts of the east coast west coast beef was uh the ultimate demise and murder of tupac shakur uh, I won't blame that on the East Coast, West Coast rivalry or beef or whatever you want to call it. Um, but it was a part of it. not necessarily. I'm not going to say Pac died because of something like that. But I think the situations really spiraled out of control to where people felt the need to choose sides. Like if you were a fan of Biggie, you couldn't be a fan of Pac. If you were a fan of Pac, you couldn't be a fan of Biggie. If you were a fan of Mob Deeps, you couldn't be a fan of Tupac's. I mean, like the list went on and on. And um, I think it, it, it helped, you know, give us a, a, a sense of where we could be in hip hop. And, and what it was doing was showing us a side of hip hop that we, that we definitely didn't want to see. And most of us didn't want to partake in. Like, I, I use myself as an example. I was someone who was in South Carolina at the time. I was in school in 1996 at South Carolina State University. And I was a huge fan of Tupac's. And I was a huge fan of Biggie's. And, you know, they're going back and forth. You know, I wasn't going to choose, but I know people that choose, you know, one or the other. And... I think it's unfortunate because I think ultimately we ended up losing two of our greatest assets as far as hip hop was concerned and two great MCs and two great young men. And um, I think it, I don't know that we necessarily, if we had to do it all over again, I, I, I know when all of this stuff was happening, nobody saw this coming. So all of these things were happening in 1996. Um, I mentioned the internet. I think one of the things that was very telling about 1996 was the fact that, you know, a lot of albums were sold. And, and I don't, I've never, never really been one to get big on album sales. But I think one of the things that stood out to me was the fact that hip hop sold very well, you know, without a lot of um, commercial appeal. You know, you had albums like, for example, the number one selling hip hop album of 1996 was Tupac's uh, Don Cluminati, The Seven Day Theory. This is the album that dropped after Tupac died. Uh, that sold 664,000 in the first week. The first week. 
Tupac's double CD, All Eyes on Me, uh, which was released early in um, 1996, uh, that sold 556,000. That was number two. So if you look at it, those two albums, first week sales, I mean, like, that was unheard of for hip-hop albums to sell like this. And again, he was, at the time All Eyes on Me dropped, he was alive. Uh, like I said, when the Don Columinati theory dropped, he was he was dead. Uh, the third selling album, The Dog Father, uh, Snoop's follow-up to Doggy Style, uh, sold 478,000, 478,971, uh, followed by It Was Written from Nas, selling 268,000. And the score from the Fuji selling 205,000. And, and these are first week sales. All of these albums went on to be multi-platinum albums. And I think that speaks volumes to the quality of music and then the appeal of the music. And again, this was done with very little uh, marketing and promotion. Um, a lot of it was word of mouth. Uh, and a lot of it was just fans flocking to get great music because they really did appreciate the music that was being made. Now, there were a ton of albums that were made in 1996. I won't run them all down because honestly, there are too many to name, but I think there were some great albums. And I'm just going to give you just a, a taste of what was dropped in 1996. Uh, we started off in January. Um, the DOC and, and Easy e both dropped albums. DOC dropped Helter Skelter. Uh, Easy e dropped uh, Straight Off the Streets of Motherfucking Compton. <laughs> uh, in February, uh, All Eyes on Me, the, afore, all, the aforementioned All Eyes on Me from Tupac uh, came out as well as The Score. Then you flip the calendar to the month of March. Um, Busta Rhymes came out with The Coming. And then Bahamadia came out with Collage. In April, the Beastie Boys, Ghetto Boys, MC Ren, Master P all dropped albums. Uh, then you go to May, Dr. Dre dropped uh, First Round Knockout, Too Short, Getting It, album number 10. You know how many albums Too Short is recorded. Uh, then we flip it to June, and Cool G Rap dropped Rated Triple X. Helter Skelter, Nocturnal. June 25th saw us receive Jay-Z's Reasonable Doubt. The following week, July 2nd, De La Soul, Stakes is High, NWA Greatest Hits, and It Was Written all dropped on the same day. July 30th, A Tribe Called Quest dropped Beats, Rhymes, and Life, which was a long-waited and anticipated album. UGK dropped Riding Dirty. You flip the calendar to the month of August, we saw Cypress Hill drop an album. MC Light dropped As Bad As I Wanna Be. And Outkast dropped AT Aliens. In the month of excuse me, in the month of September, I don't know where February came from. In the month of September, uh, The Roots dropped Philadelphia Half-Life. October saw us receive Razkaz's Soul on Ice. The Wrath of a Man from J. Rooter Damager. The aforementioned Bow Down from Westside Connection. October 29th, Ghostface Killer dropped Iron Man. November, LL Cool J came with the all-world greatest hits. The aforementioned Don Columinati, uh, Seven Day Theory from Machiavelli. Tupac dropped on November 5th. Little Kim dropped 
Hardcore. Snoop dropped Dogfather on November 12th. Foxy Brown dropped the Ill Nana on, night, uh, on November 19th. Mob Deep, same day, Hell on Earth. And closing out the year, Redman, December 10th, Muddy Waters. And all of which happened during this troubled time in hip-hop. I did not mention that Tupac unfortunately passed away on September 13th, 1996. And it was a sad day in hip-hop. Truly, truly sad day in hip-hop. So there was a lot of stuff going on. But yet and still, we were able to receive some great, great music. Now, I'll be honest. It's hard to do a top five. It's first and foremost, anytime you do a list, the first thing you have to remember that is all subjective. Uh, what I mean by that is that you can ask 10 different people to give you 10 different lists and you might have 10 different lists. Um, I think relatively speaking, there's going to be some overlap by most people. Like, so if I have an if the album that is number three on my list, it may or may not make your top five list, but it should at the very least be in your top 10. If I name an album on here <laughs> that's not on your top 10, something's wrong with your top 10. <laughs> All right. So first and foremost, like I said, it's subjective. So again, you know, you have to take it for what it's worth. Secondly, I think my list is dope. First of all, first and foremost, my list is dope because I'm dope. I mean, let's just all agree on that. Uh, as for someone like such as myself, who's tenured in hip hop, uh, I've been around and I've seen a lot come, seen a lot go. I'm, I'm very, very much influenced by the music. Um, and I've been around as long as hip hop has been around. So I think I know a little bit about hip hop. I'll be the first to admit that I have my biases. <laughs> Don't we all? Nonetheless, I think when I compiled this list, I tried to be as objective and subjective as I could, uh, but I had to put it in a criteria. So here's my criteria. This certified top five is based on a couple of things. One, obviously, lyricism. You got to be lyrical. Your album, this album, whatever album that makes this list has to be lyrical. If it's not lyrical, it's not making the list. You got to have dope lyrics. Uh, two, the production has to be tight. Um, I think that's one of the things that stood out in 1996 was that most of these albums that I mentioned that were produced in 1996, production-wise... You know, they were they were some of the most incredible albums uh, to be produced, not just in 1996, but just in the 90s in general. So that's saying a lot. Thirdly, it's got to be dope. Got to be. I don't think you can argue anything about an album being dope. And you really can't argue dope. I mean, dope is dope. It, it, it is what it is. I mean, like. Now, what I deem dope and what you deem dope, I think shouldn't be that far off. Uh, the fourth thing, impact. What kind of impact did the album have in 1996? Not only that, what impact does it have now? 
Um, and then speaking of now is the fifth element, the longevity. Uh, you know, what's the replay value? What's what? How, how did this album hold up against the test of time? It was bumping in 96, but can you bump it in 2016, 20 years later? That's the question. So that's how I came up with it, man. I came up with the list based on lyricism, production, dopeness, and impact, and longevity. And if you make a top five list, I think you got to fit into all of these categories. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a commercial. And when we come back from the commercial, I'm going to give you the certified top five hip hop albums from 1996. We'll be back in a second. Welcome back to the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm your host, 12 Kyle. And today we're talking about the certified top five hip hop albums from 1996. Now I've talked about it, teased it. You've been waiting and debating for oh so long. It's time for me to go ahead and just drop it on your head. You ready? Let's get it. <laughs> Number five, De La Soul, Stakes is High. Man, listen, <laughs> De La Soul. Stakes is high. Dropped July 2nd, 1996. Uh, one of the first things that stands out about this album is that Prince Paul is not on the album. Unlike their previous albums, Prince Paul did not uh, produce any tracks on this album. Um, and they barely missed him, honestly. Uh, this album, top to bottom, is phenomenal. I like to refer to De La Soul's Stakes Is High as the line drawn in the sand when it comes to hip hop. Um, if, if you listen to this album, one of the main things that they are talking about is um, De La Soul basically held up a mirror and said, hey, this is where hip hop is. And if we're not careful, it's going to turn for the worse. Um, De La Soul are guys who came up, obviously, in the golden era of hip hop. Uh, and saw this era, you know, coming to an end uh, by the time this album dropped. And in a, in a lot of ways, this album kind of foreshadowed to where we were actually headed in hip hop when it came to lyricism. Um, this album is a very good blend of just dope rhymes, crazy beats, and, you know, a subject matter that, you know, we all can relate to. Um, I think one of the things that they, they tried to do was, uh, you know, kind of shut down the whole idea of commercialism. Now, they, they were known as being a quote unquote backpack group. But at the same time, I mean, like they want to get paid like everybody else. But they, they really were against like, you know, selling your soul uh, just to make a buck. Um, and like I said, in a lot of ways, I think that kind of moved um, hip hop in the direction in which it was going. Um, you know, you can listen to the first verse of uh, Stakes is High and <laughs> it tells you right there, you know, where they were coming from. Um, sick of, you know, fake and phony rappers. Um, and this was, you know, all, all of this happened, you know, in the height of the quote unquote shiny suit era. So, you know, you got to give De La Soul credit for at the very least taking a stand and drawing a line in the stand saying like, look, this is where hip hop has been known for this as far as at the very least lyricism up until this point. And we don't want to see it go to waste and fall by the wayside. Uh, we don't want it to be about, 
you know, cars and clothes and crime and all of this stuff like that, money and everything like that. And they, they, they just didn't want to see it go too commercial. They wanted hip hop to stay lyrical. Um, so, you know, at the very least, I think you got to give De La Soul props for that. At least I do. Um, props for, you know, one, taking a stand and two, really just, you know, sticking close to what they believed in. Um, this, this album obviously lyrically is incredible. Um, the, the fellas bring it on each track. There's no tracks that you want to skip through. I think each track has a message and has, you know, something that the, even the most average, average listener can gain something from. Um, as far as production, as I mentioned, Prince Paul did not produce anything on this album. Uh, Jay Dilla, shout out to Jay Dilla, the, the goat in my opinion. <laughs> uh, he produced the title track, Stakes is High. The rest of the album was produced uh, pretty much by De La Soul themselves. So that in and of itself speaks volumes as to where they were as a group um, with this being an album that they just did most of the production on. And they kind of really took it to the next level. Uh, as far as dopeness, of course this album is dope. I mean, come on, it's De La Soul. When is De La Soul not made a dope album? Well, I mean, that last album looked dope, but, you know, that's, that's another story for another day. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, I think uh, this album is doper than dope, man. I mean, you don't have to necessarily be a De La Soul fan to really, really appreciate this album. Although I will say most De La Soul fans love this album. I, you know, I take that back. All De La Soul fans love this album. Most hip-hop fans love this album. This is a, a banger, like I said, from top to bottom. It's so dopeness, hey, you know, what more can I say? Uh, as far as the impact, this album had long-reaching impact because if you think about it, you know, it's been 20 years since this album dropped and you can still listen to it and take something from it. I think the impact that it made uh, when it came out was that people were really, really surprised at the stance that they took as far as speaking out against commercialism. Because again, if you look at the climate, climate, climate as to what was going on in uh, hip hop, um, like I said, Bad Boy, you know, was all over the radio. Death Row was all over the radio and, and De La Soul really kind of took a stance to say, look, man, we're not with all of that commercialism. You know, be who you are, be yourself, make dope music, you know, keep it keep it original and keep it funky. And, you know, that's what they did. And, and you know, to their credit, De La Soul has done that their entire career. Uh, this album, I think, really, you know, kind of forewarned us to get away from marketing schemes and strategies as to how to promote your music and everything like that and just make dope music. Um, as far as the longevity, man, I think this album, listening to it sonically, uh, it doesn't sound dated at all. Uh, you can still bop your head to it. You can still work out to it. You can still run to it. You can do whatever you want to this, this, this album. Um, it still is a great album and it's still a great listen some 20 years later. So there it is. Number five. De La Soul, stakes is high. Uh, like I said, man, if and if for some reason you're listening to this podcast and you don't have this album, shame on you. <laughs> you better go get this album as soon as you finish listening to this podcast. Um, you can find it anywhere, download it, go buy it at a record store. Um, it's dope. It's dope, dope, dope. 
So, you know, that's that's about all I can say on this one, man. Uh, incredible album. Phenomenal, man. Salute to the fellas from Daylight Soul, man. You dropped the gym. For real. And before I forget, let me give you my favorite four joints from this album. Um, fave four. Uh, Super MCs. Love that joint. Um, the Business. Featuring Common. Uh, it's So Easy. And the title track, Stakes is High. Those are like my favorite four joints on the album. As I mentioned, the album is incredible from top to bottom. But if I had to pick four favorite songs, those are my four favorite songs on the album. Take a listen to the album. I guarantee you're going to love it. Uh, so that's it right there, man. De La Soul coming in at number five. Stakes is hot. Number five, Red Man. Muddy Waters. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know what you're thinking. You're sitting there saying to yourself, now wait a minute, he just had De La Soul at number five with stakes as high. How can Redman be number five as well? Well, there's a perfectly good and logical explanation behind that. Um... When I was sitting here trying to figure things out and put everything into place and breaking everything down, uh, I came to these two albums and it just really, I was going back and forth like, okay, should I put this one here? Should I put that one there? Um, and to be honest, these two albums ended up in a tie. And then I thought to myself like, man, should I really, you know, make it a tie? You know, like, because that might piss some people off. And I thought to myself, <laughs> What the hell do I care? This is my podcast. <laughs> I'm the damn expert here. So, yeah, man, it's a tie. Uh, coming in fifth place, uh, tie, uh, Muddy Waters from Redman. This album dropped December 10th, uh, 1996. Uh, this album eventually went gold. Um, I think this album was incredible, man. This is one of the, uh, this is the best album, in my opinion, from Redman. Uh, this was his third solo album. Um, man, this album really from start to finish really just goes. I mean, like, I call this album like a, a, a lyrical battlefield. Redman has so many different flows and so many different styles that he uses on this album um, that it's just really, it, it really solidifies him as an MC. Um, I think Redman, for most people, really, especially Redman's fans, um, we view him as being highly, highly underrated. Um, and this album really speaks to why he should be uh, mentioned uh, with some of the best. Uh, but the thing is, like Redman mentioned in the song, you know, he's not platinum on wax, but he's platinum in the streets. Uh, he, all he cares about is being a dope MC, smoking weed, <laughs> and, you know, people respecting what it is that he does and says as an MC. And, um, you know, he really delivered on this album, man. This album is a must listen. Uh, I think one of the other things that stood out to me, man, first and foremost, man, this album, not only with the dope lyricists, but this is a funky ass album, man. So let, let's break it down. Um, as I mentioned, his lyrics. Uh, now, here's the thing about Redman's lyrics. I mean, he he is known for his punchlines. So uh, he's either going to be talking about his skills, something funny or witty. Um or he's talking about weed. <laughs> so now 
one of the things that I love about Redman is that even though he may be talking about weed in a song and like for me, for instance, like I don't smoke weed, never have. Um, but I don't mind listening to it because he gives it to you and delivers it in such a way that I think most it, it still can appeal to people. And like I said, he comes off as funny. You know what Redman is? Redman is your cousin. <laughs> Everybody has a cousin like Redman, like a guy who, you know, doesn't really take himself seriously, but knows that he's dope. And I mean, very, very talented brother. Um, so yeah, lyrically, this this album is impeccable. The subject matter, I will admit, you know, it's not very deep. I mean, he's not talking about fight the power or anything like that, but uh, it's dope. I mean, like lyrically, you will be satisfied from front to back. Um, as far as the production, obviously, this was mostly produced by Eric Sermon uh, from EPMD. Um, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I mean, this is a funky ass album. I mean, I, the bass lines, uh, the drums. I don't know how many times uh, Eric Sermon can sample uh, Ron Isley or James Brown or whomever, but I mean, it's funky as hell, man. This is just, and, and, and anytime you get Redman and Eric Sermon together, you know it's going to be something funky that you can bump in your, in your car, in the crib, in your ears, wherever. Um, so the production is flawless. Uh, and, and one of the, the other things that stood out about this album, too, is that uh, this album isn't that long. It's a little over an hour, but um, Redman's got some skits sprinkled in, and the skits are funny. Even to this day, I think the skits are still funny, you know, still uh, make you chuckle every now and then. Um, so, yeah, the production was definitely on point. Um, as far as dopeness, yeah, man, this is a dope album. I mean, like, when this album came out, I remember uh, I was just about to graduate from college. Uh, and, and I was really, really, I don't know what I was more focused on, graduating or waiting for this album to come out. Well, actually, I was, it was a little, a little bit of both. But, um dope i mean this this album is dope and i think you know you don't necessarily have to be a red man fan now, i'm a huge red man fan uh but you don't necessarily have to be a red man fan to appreciate this album i think if you're a hip-hop head and you appreciate dopeness you're gonna love this album um as far as impact this this album as i mentioned as far as the initial sales i sold very well particularly for red man um he he was able to you know garner uh, a lot of attention uh, like I said just as his, him as an MC and then what he does uh, lyrically I thought it he brought something different because if you listen to his the styles and, and, and his punchlines and, and things that there weren't a lot of rappers necessarily rhyming the way that Redman rhymes on this album and I think what he did was he gave birth to a lot of MCs that came behind him. Um, if you if you listen to a lot of, uh, of rappers that came uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, a lot of them will credit Redman as being their inspiration um, and, you know, somebody that they look up to. Like, again, his subject matter is not going to be it's not going to blow you away. But at the end of the day, I think he comes with something dope that, you know, everybody can appreciate. Um, the longevity of this album, I think this album is a very, very good when it comes to, to longevity. Uh, this album is, it, again, it's not a dated album. Um, you know, there are not a lot of references as to things that are going on in the current. Um, you can you can listen. To, you should be able to listen to this album 
and still get something from it. I still get something from it some 20 years later. Um, I think the the thing that really one of the th- other things that stands out about this album is that when you think about its longevity, uh, the out al- the way in which this album flows, you you kind of get a sense that Redman knew exactly what he was doing. He wasn't making something necessarily just for 1996. Um, I think anybody that picks up this album can definitely definitely appreciate it, even as the years have passed. Um, now let's get into my fave four. My favorite four songs on this album. Um, I love all the songs on the album, but favorite four. Uh, I mean, first I got to start with pick it up. I mean, if you find a find a bag of weed on the floor, what the fuck you gonna do? Pick it up, pick it up. Uh, dope bassline, dope dope beat from Eric Sermon. Um, love that joint. Um, yes, yes, y'all. Uh, that's another favorite. And, and even the, the phrase, yes, yes, y'all, that's an old school phrase. Uh, good to see Redman throw that in. That's a dope song. Um, what you looking for? Love that joint. Um, and then the final song that I say is one of my favorite songs is um, It's Like That, My Brother, uh, featuring K Solo. It, it felt good to see the whole squad back together. Reggie Noble, K Solo. Um, I mean, <laughs> K Solo said, My afro flows in 360 degrees, and this makes me the light skinned Richard Roundtree. <laughs> Come on, son. I mean, like, that's dope in and of itself. Um, so, yeah, man, I, I love this album. If you haven't listened to it in a while, man, pick it up. 1996, coming in at number five, Red Man, Muddy Waters. Number four, Outcast, AT Aliens. Hey, man. <laughs> Listen, <clears throat> Outcast AT Aliens dropped August 27th, 1996. Uh, this was their second album. This album, um, what can I say about this album? This album was phenomenal. Uh, there are some, uh, I'm not included in this song, but there are some who say that this is Outkast's best album. Now, I won't go that far, uh, but it is a great package that they put together. I think this is an incredible album. Um, What can I say about this album? This album, uh, first and foremost, I think it's hard for uh, any artist to have the kind of success that Outkast had uh, after their first album, Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music. Uh, and then come back and not suffer from the sophomore jinx. Um, particularly when, you know, you have uh, this newfound success and you're going through personal changes in your life and things of that nature. I think uh, between the first album and the second album, Big Boy had a child and Andre was in a, in a relationship uh, with uh, Keisha from Total and they broke up. So, you know, they were going through, going through some personal things and then they recorded this album. I think uh, this album uh, was one of the staples uh, as far as Southern hip hop. And just, I mean, it was, it really, really helped put the collective of the South, uh, Atlanta in particular, on the map. Um, man, this album, this first and foremost, this album is, 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 is a dope album. This album sold uh, 300 50 copies within the first two weeks uh, that it was released. Uh, it went on to become double platinum, uh, which says a lot because the first album went platinum and then the second album went double platinum. 
Uh, this was just a, a, a scratch on the surface for where Outkast was starting to take off, uh, both you know locally in Atlanta and then nationally and then worldwide. Um, this album is this is a cold ass album, man. <laughs> I can't say it any better. Big Boy and Andre uh, really put together something here that was very special. I I think one of the things that stood out to me is that, um, you know, they really were rhyming their ass off on on this album. They it didn't have the same sound or feel as the first album. uh, But I think in a lot of ways, man, this album, they sounded like they were a lot hungrier than they than they were on the first album. Um, there were some critics, uh, I don't want to say critics, there were some fans who were a little disappointed because Outkast had moved away from the playlistic pimping type rhymes or what have you from the first album. But I think that signified their growth. I mean, on this album, they talked about anything, every, any and everything from uh, things that things that happened in the black community, black on black crime, poverty, education. Um you know, these things are weaved in and out of these songs. Uh, they never come off as being preachy. Uh, they never come off as as informative as, let's say, a, maybe a goody mob or what have you. But what they did was they put together an album where it doesn't feel like they're beating you over the head, but they're dropping jewels on you. Um, and I think that was very important, particularly at the time uh, in which this was, uh, you know, this album came out. Because keep in mind, you had a, 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 a quote unquote war going on between East and West. And here come these guys from the South. <laughs> and then keep in mind that they were, uh, that they won the Source Award, for Best New Artist, the previous year, 1995, and subsequently got booed the hell off the stage uh, when they went to accept their award. And that's when Andre uh, 3000 famously got up there and said, uh, the South got something to say. And he wasn't lying. I mean, like the South really had something to say. And they definitely, definitely displayed it with this album. Um, I think this album, man, uh, first and foremost, uh, the lyricism, uh, this album really shows the dexterity of both Big Boy and Andre. Uh, They play off of each other very well when it comes to rhyming. Um, I think they both are dope MCs. Uh, They rhyme well, you know, as solo artists, but when they come together as a collective, man, I mean, they... They really, really have a unique and distinct sound, just the two of them. Um, I don't mind hearing them, you know, individually, but I love hearing them together. Um, but yeah, this whole album, man, this this is a well put together album um, with guest features from obviously Goody Mob. Uh, Outkast produced most of this album uh, themselves. Uh, there was some uh, help from Organized Noise, but for the most part, they did this album themselves. So the production part of it is is very tight. Um, it's very melodic. Um, a lot of chords uh, that uh, the, the the old Southern feel on a song like the Cato uh, song, um, you know, like a Southern mass choir type sound. Um, it's just, and it's really, really funky. I mean, it's really, really funky. The beats are grimy and dirty, and and I love it like that. And and it really sets the background to the 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 lyrics that are going to take place. So production wise, man, this album is flawless. Um, there's not a song on here that I don't like. I think this album uh, is a very, very easy listen, and um, this is one of the albums that when you listen to it once. You know, you want to listen to it again and again and again. Um, 
and as I mentioned lyrically, I mean these these guys are on point. There, there's no, you know what Andre and Big Boy and, and and to be honest, I think lyrically they pushed each other on this album um, to 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 be the best that they could be um, as they move throughout uh, going forward on each song. Um, and then you look at the dopeness. Uh, <laughs> it's Outkast, man. Outkast is dope in and of itself. Because them as a collective, I mean, just even if, if you, we can take it to the album art cover. I mean, like the comic strip look, you know, at the time, uh, <laughs> Dre was going through some things, I guess, rocking a turban, uh, big boy, you know, he, he still had his little uh, gaiters and pimp suits. And then, you know, sometimes you see him in a, in a ball cap and a jersey. And, you know, the thing that really I thought was really dope about them was that they really embraced the fact that they were from Atlanta and they really, really set out to show that dudes from the South could rap. It wasn't all about booty shake and, and, and no, no disrespect to that kind of music bass and booty shake, but, um, you know, they wanted to set a trend and they, they laid the groundwork and the foundation for a lot of what, uh, you hear from Southern MCs, uh, from that point going forward, even up until today, uh, as far as the lyricism. Um, but I think they, they, what they did in this album that made it so dope was that they displayed a, a unique ability uh, to describe, you know, what it was like and what it's like to be living in the city of Atlanta. Um, you know, all the while, you know, talking about and, and building up and giving you, you know, kind of possibilities for prosperity. Um, like I said, they didn't come off as being pre preachy or anything like that, but they, they, they had a, they have a very good balance on this album. And I think that's very, very dope. When you can talk about the streets, you can talk about, you know, positive and uplifting things. And then you can also hit, hit cats with just some funky music. Um, that's a balance and that's a fine line to walk, particularly in hip hop and outcast does it very well. Um, as far as impact, this, this, this album was a huge impact because again, it put the South on the map. Um, at that particular time, nobody at the time that Southern Playlistic came out, nobody was rhyming or looked or sound anything like Outkast coming from the South. Um, I think the subsequent getting booed and being disrespected by, quote unquote, New York. Um, what it did was I, I think it, it kind of severed the ties between the South and the West and the North. I mean, like they set out to say, look, we're going to make our kind of music. We're going to look the way that we look. We're going to sound the way that we sound and we're going to do what we do. And no, and we don't care about whether or not you accept it or not, but you're going to have to respect it. And I think that in and of itself set a trend and set the possibilities for where hip hop could go. And I think that that's what made uh, the, the impact uh, so special for Outkast. Um, as far as the longevity, man, this album was dope to listen to in 1996. It's just as dope uh, in, in 2016 or 2017. Um, I think the the thing that makes this album, you know, last as long as it does is because the sound value and the quality of the album and what it is that they're talking about, phonically, it sounds good. I mean, like it it sounds, it almost sounds like the 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 album cover, like a, like a comic book strip, like a movie, if you will. Um, I think, like I said, Big Boy and Dre play off of each other very well. Um, and, and what it is, is they, they make you feel good about listening to hip hop and everybody can't say that. And I think that's one of the things that always has, you know, really impressed me about Outkast is that, you know, they make 
good music. And one thing that has been uh, made this album and their subsequent albums is, as far as longevity goes, is that the sound is consistent and they are constantly getting better. And I think they've gotten constantly better and progressively better over a period of time. But the longevity of this album in particular, um, it, it stands the test of time. I think this is an album that is just as easy to listen as it was back then that it is now. Um, it's it's a good album that flows. Um, you know, you, you don't get a lot of, <laughs> you don't get any skits or anything like that, but it's, it's just raw lyrics and, you know, dope beats, dope rhymes. I mean, what more do you want? You can't ask for much more. Uh, so, yeah, man, Outkast, AT Aliens comes in at number four. And, of course, I got to give you my fave four. Um, man, it's kind of hard to pick four in this one because I love all of the songs. Um, let me see. If I had to pick four, uh, first I got to go with Wheels of Steel. Um Man, yo, shout out to scratching on a record. <laughs> Nobody scratches on records anymore. I love Wheels of Steel. Um, I remember when the album came out, like I couldn't stop playing that song. I couldn't stop playing it at all. Um, probably my second favorite. Um, second one I'll say is a favorite is uh, Elevators. Me and you, your mama, and your cousin too, rolling down the strip on Vogue's. Coming up, slamming Cadillac doors. <laughs> Yo, I love saying that. Um, yeah, my elevators is dope. Uh, third probably would be, and these these aren't in any particular order. Uh, Jazzy Bell, <clears throat> and fourth, I gotta go with Mainstream. Mainstream, Big Boy's verse on Mainstream is probably my favorite Big Boy verse on the album. Uh, he kills it. And it's not often that, you know, I compare he and Dre because I think they're two different type of bit, type of MCs uh, and they rhyme differently and everything like that. Um, but I think, and it's, I mean, I think it's natural to compare MCs, especially when you're in a duo or a group or a trio or what have you. Um, but I think this was one of the, one of the few times where, and, and I mean, there's been other songs where Big Boy gets Dre. Uh, but I think Big Boy really got him on this one, man. He, he he delivers a dope, dope verse. So there it is, man. Number four, certified top five. Number four, Outkast, AT Aliens. Number three, Nas, It Was Written, Son. Let me tell you something, man. This album, man, what can I say that you don't already know about It Was Written? Um, I think It Was Written was a a great great album from Nas um a lot and I've heard a lot of hip-hop fans say um particularly ones that are a little bit younger than me um that they enjoy it was written more than Illmatic now personally I think that's blasphemy (laughs) but that's another subject for an entirely different discussion um I think it's it's very difficult to follow up uh, a classic, a hip hop classic, a one that has, you know, many hip hop in, in hip hop circles felt like the torch was passed from Rakim to Nas uh, when he created uh, Illmatic. So to come back and have a sophomore album, uh, you know, you gotta come correct. You you can't have step. You can't BS. You gotta you gotta put your best foot forward. Uh, I thought that it was written was 
a phenomenal album. Um, I think part of the discussion or the uh, angst that people have for it, it was written uh, is strictly based on the fact that it wasn't Illmatic. That's it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you can't, but you, you can't compare the two. I mean, like Nas's growth from Illmatic came out in '94, right? And it was written came out July 2nd, 1996. So there was a, there was some time in between there. Now this album was commercially at the time uh, Nas's, and I think it may still be his best commercial selling album. Uh, this album sold four million copies, right? So. He went from Nasty Nas to Nas Escobar. Now, some people have a problem with Esco. I don't have a problem with Nas Escobar, but I think this was a an incredible album, and I'll tell you why. Um, and again, I think a lot of the the comparisons is that people it's natural for people to compare uh, Illmatic and it was written. But I think if you separate them and look at them in their totality, I think you'll realize that this was one of the crown jewels of 1996. Uh, this was a phenomenal album. I think Nas, he introduced us to the Escobar, uh, the Colombian drug pin Pablo Escobar. And, you know, he starts uh, in this album. On this album, he's, you know, it's, it's, he's talking a lot about clothes, cars, liquor, guns, drugs, um, you know, this quote unquote mafioso style. Um, and, and that wasn't something that was necessarily new in hip hop. But again, you got to understand the time and which what was going on and things of that nature. Um, so and I think some of that and it's just my personal opinion. I think some of that, uh, you know, while it was illiterary uh, in, a, in a sense, you know, I think Tupac took offense to some of that, uh, some of the, the references and things of that nature. Um, and I mean, he was rhyming the same way. So, I mean, it was, you know, it is what it is. But anyway, um, this album, man, I think is, 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 it was a dope album. Um, I mean, Nas, he hit it on, on, on a lot of different levels from I Gave You Power, where he's talking about himself as a gun, uh, the message um, to, you know, Black Girl Law. I mean, like he, he, he covers the gamut as far as subject material. And that's one thing I can honestly say about Nas throughout his career is that his subject material doesn't fade. I mean, he's always got something to talk about, uh, you know, sometimes on previous albums or subsequent albums after this album, you know, the beat selections weren't as, you know, as what they should be. But hey, we're not talking about those albums. We're talking about this album. Um, lyrically, I think Nas... Uh, doesn't fall off at all from uh, Illmatic to It Was Written. I think It Was Written, you know, it starts off with the message and it kind of it kind of goes from there. Lyrically, I mean, he, he attacks you at so many different levels. I mean, there's so many quotables from this album, from Street Dreams on down. Um, this, lyrically, he delivers as he all, and in, in my opinion, where I think he always does. I think Nas doesn't fall off lyrically. Um, and that's hard to say when you drop a classic such as Illmatic to say, okay, well, hey, lyrically, he didn't fall off. I, I felt like, you know, even though his subject material changed, um, he still came with it. And I thought he delivered a very, very good album for us to listen to. Um, Production-wise, uh, gone were the beats from, uh, you know, not, I was going to say Timberland, not Timberland. <laughs> gone were the beats from... Uh, DJ Premier, not Timberland. 
<laughs> and you know he enlisted the Trackmasters. And Trackmasters, I thought at the time, um, I wasn't at the time this album came out, I wasn't as familiar with Trackmasters. But I thought they did a good job, man, of blending in, you know, some of the samples and things of that nature. And I thought it, the production went well with what Rob Nas was talking about and went well with his rhymes. Um, so I didn't have a I didn't have a problem with the production at all. I thought the production actually was pretty damn good, if uh, if I say so myself. Um, as far as the dopeness, man, this this album is a dope album. Uh, again, I think if you listen to people talk about this album. You know, very few can talk about it without mentioning Illmatic. And I think that's dope in and of itself because he gave you something and he set the bar so high to the fact that you you want to talk about it. You want to relive it. You want to rehash what it is that you're talking about and how it stands and where it stands against its previous material. So, um, you know, I think some people wanted Nas to return back to his professional beginnings and, and where he started as far as the essence in Illmatic. But I think this is what makes uh, it was written dope is that he he went the other direction and he still stayed within himself and still stayed dope uh, despite his content changing. Um, as far as impact, man, there was a huge impact. I mean, not only socially, but ec- economically, obviously for Nas. Uh, because as I mentioned, if you look at a song like if I Rule the World, imagine that with Lauryn Hill. Uh, and that song and the subsequent video directed by Hype Williams uh, landed Nas on MTV. He was everywhere. I mean, like, he, he was, he went from, it, it was a very, you know, here's the thing about that song. I, and I've argued this before, I don't think that Nas set out to make a song that was commercial. I think it, it just crossed over commercially. Now, a lot of people thought that Nas was swinging for the fence and this was his, you know, get me on MTV type song or what have you. Um, I just thought it was a when I first heard the song, I didn't think like, okay, this is a pop song or, or, you know, he's trying to go for the charts or anything like that. Did it chart? Of course it did. I mean, (laughs) if I rule the world was being played everywhere. And, you know, but I thought what it did was and what people forget is that. It paid homage to Curtis Blow. I mean, one of the the, 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 the legendary pioneers in hip hop. So I, I didn't necessarily look down on this record. I know a lot of people liked it. Some people didn't. Uh, I liked it. Uh, I thought that, you know, it, I don't think that this was a commercial album. People always refer to this as a commercial album. I don't. I think it's just a dope album. Um, longevity, as far as that's concerned, I think this album has longevity. I think um, you can listen to this album and still get a good feeling and still understand where Nas was coming from in a lot of his songs. And when you look at it, listen to a song like I Gave You Power, its relevancy still is prevalent today. Um, none of what he's talking about sounds old or anything like that. Everything is is on point. Um, so I think the, the longevity of this album, I think, you know, you listen to it in 1996, you bob your head. And I think, you know, in, in 2016, you're going to bop your head as well. Um, favorite joints on here. Man, this is tough because there's a lot of songs that I like. Um, I, I, the aforementioned I, If I Rule the World. I love that joint because I love El Boogie. Uh, shout out to Lauren Hill. Um, I gave you power. Uh, I'd never heard anybody rhyme like that in, in the subject matter in which he rhymed, um, which I thought was really, really dope. Um, Street Dreams, obviously. I mean, the beat playing off of uh, Eurythmics, Eurythmics uh, Sweet Dreams um, from the 1980s. 
uh, and the message. Um, come on, man. I, I, fake thug, no love. You get the slug, see before Gusto. I could go on and on. I mean, like, that's that's my favorite verse on the album. Um, and uh, so, yeah, man, I, I, I got to say, coming in at number three on the certified top five hip-hop albums from 1996, it was written by Nas. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial. Uh, we'll hear from Tupac, and when we come back on the other side, I'll give you the certified top two in 1996. Sit tight. We'll be back in just a second. I'm telling you now, when I see Biggie, it's not going to be like we're going to attack him every time. I might be in a good mood, and I might not want to be going. This shit is so minor. This is not about me and Biggie. Everybody keep talking about it. Y'all making this nigga bigger than he is. All right. Do you hear me fucking talking about this? Is about a, This is a major plan, a major strategy. That was the impetus or the starter or the generator that kicked it off. They happen to be the, 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 the regime before me, just like... Republicans hate Carter or whatever. Now the Republicans is like, we can't wait for Bush to come back. You know, just like now I'm in power. They, everybody that that love Biggie, they all like, I can't wait for Biggie to come back or somebody like that or, or Nas. That's why they root for them. They rooting for they for they right. they, they stay people. And, and when I was gone, that's why all my niggas was like, we can't wait for them to come. And that's why they rushed the polls. They wanted a new regime. And my regime includes the East Coast. It includes the West Coast. It, it brings money. It's economics. You know what I mean? I study this shit. Yeah, I'm bringing money to New York by signing groups, by Death Row East. That's bringing money, economics, that's sales. I'm bringing the bridge through this motherfucker. I want to start an athletic team where all the rappers sponsor a team. Right, right. You know what I mean? I'm bringing the community, the community involved, giving money back to the community. We got Mother's Day, Thanksgiving, and Christmas so far, Death Row. And just like that, we are back. All right, man. So let's get back to it, man. Uh, certified top five hip hop albums from 1996 right here on the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm your host, 12 Kyle. Let's get into it. Number two, The Roots, Philadelphia Half-Life. I know what you're thinking right now. I know what you're thinking right now. You didn't have the roots at number two. I'm I'm willing to bet that at least 90% of the people listening to this podcast right now did not have the roots at number two. And it's okay. It's okay. I mean, your your list can be wrong. I mean, it's okay. (laughs) Nonetheless, man, the roots come in at number two. This this, This album dropped. September 24th, 1996. The Roots, Illadelph, Half-Life. This was their third album. Um, Man, what can I say about this album? Uh, This album might be... Well, there's no doubt in my mind. This album is one of the best. This is the second best album to drop in 1996. Uh... This is a complete album. I mean, this album gives you a little bit of everything. Um, there's hip hop, there's spoken word, there's jazz, there's, you know, great lyricism. Um, I mean, beatboxing, <laughs> just about everything. This is a true hip hop album in the essence. Um, I lo- first and foremost, I- I'm a huge fan of The Roots. That's not why this made number two, but I'm a huge fan of The Roots. But this album actually, for me, uh, 
and I mentioned it on the previous podcast. This was my introduce, introduction to The Roots. Um, I was introduced to The Roots by my cousin. Um, the first song I heard was, uh, I want to say it was Clones. And um, subsequently, the concerto of a Desperado. Uh, but man, this album from top to bottom is a certified banger. Uh, Malik B and Black Thought lyrically kill this album on every single track. There's not one track that you can point to that is, you know, that you could say was whack or you didn't necessarily feel. Um, and they talk about a little bit of everything. And Roots, and it's funny because this, the Roots is known as this quote unquote back before they, they landed the gig on late night TV. Uh, you know, they were known as this quote unquote this backpack rap group, uh, this hodgepodge of, of characters of, you know, Malik B and, and, and Black Thought, Questlove, and Scratch, and all these other guys, man. But th- I think this is a musical masterpiece. Uh, this. This album, if you listen to it and you close your eyes, it almost sounds like a theater or a, 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 a Broadway play, uh, the way that it plays. Um, as I mentioned, they combine hip-hop, jazz, a lot of soul. Uh, the This album lyrically uh, delivers and leaves really no stones unturned to me. Um, <clears throat> and they talk about different subjects on, on each track whether it's uh, the commercialism of hip hop and what they do to um, the romantic tale of the hypnotic. Uh, this album, man, it's an incredible album. I mean, like, I think the roots really put, and I, it's, it's rare for me to use the word masterpiece, but I think this is a 20 track musical masterpiece, very poetic. Uh, and it, I, I think one of the thing, it, it, things that it does, it, it showcases the talent of uh, Black Thought, Malik B, Questlove. I mean, it showcases everybody's talents. Uh, the, and, and that's the reason why they call them the Legendary Roots Crew. Um, this is a legendary album, I think. Um, they, and the thing about this album, I think what, what, puts, what helps me put this at number two Uh, On the backdrop of everything that was going on in society, everything that was going on in hip-hop, the Roots just really put together an album and they said, look, man, screw what everybody's talking about, what everybody's doing. We're the Roots. We're coming from Philadelphia. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to sound. This is how we're going to look. And we don't care. We're not trying to fit into. And that was the thing that was really interesting to me was that Everybody tried to peg the roots into a particular hole. You can't peg the roots and, and put them in a certain category. Um, and this by far is a hip hop album. So it wasn't even though they don't necessarily look like a hip hop group per se uh, at first glance. Um, this album, man, this is a true, true hip hop album. One of the best uh, in 1996. Um, <laughs> lyrically. <laughs> Man, I could go on about the lyricism on this album. I think Malik B and Black Thor really pushed the limit. Um, if you listen to their second album, uh, Do You Want More? You know, it was a little bit more soulful, a little bit more melodic. Um, but this one's a little bit more grittier and grimier as far as the subject matter that they're talking about. Uh, but they talk about everything from politics to what's going on in the community to 
you know, the senseless violence and then how they came up on the streets of Philadelphia. Um, I, I think they offer raw, raw details as far and it, and it, and it sounds. I think the thing that makes the roots uh, this particular album, when when you listen to Black Thought and Malik B. Uh, rhyme, uh, their rhymes are very relatable. Uh, as far as if you were coming up in, in the 90s or in the 80s for that matter, you understood where and what they were talking about and it didn't sound or seem far-fetched or too far away or too distant from you, even if you did or didn't grow up in that area. Um, but yeah, the lyrics are raw, man. I mean, they give it to you uh, top to bottom, man. This, this album, they don't disappoint on any track and I think you know, the, the title track to the previous album is very fitting for uh, what they do on this one lyrically. Do you want more? Because they leave you kind of wanting more on each track. Um, the production, son, the production on this album is crazy from the live instrumentation, uh, samples, um, you know, if you enjoy music and artistry, you will truly, truly enjoy this. Uh, they have a, a spoken word piece, um, and then they also have a piece where nobody rhymes at all, <laughs> where it's just instrumentation, and and, and and that's rare. And I mean, you'll you'll never hear a hip hop album sound anything like this phonically. Um, they touched all bases on this production wise. I think this, this, when it comes to production, I think this may well be the best produced album in 1996. It's not the best album, but I think it's the best produced album. Um, now when you look at the, the dopeness, man, in and of itself, the roots are a dope group, uh, first and foremost, but I think really just the, the overall dopeness of this album, uh, speaks to itself. I mean, they come at you with so on so many different levels as far as the subject matter, the production, um, the the flow that Black Thought has. Um, Black Thought. Let me stop right there for a second. Black Thought. If you mention underrated MC, uh, Black Thought is probably on the top of 95% of the underrated MC list. I mean, this guy literally kills it on each track. Uh, he he brings it, and I mean, like you, for me, on a personal note, I can't get enough of listening to what he has to say on this album. Um, I think this album, man, top to bottom, as I mentioned, 20 tracks, is dope all the way through. No skip tracks. Um, you know, it, it 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 flows. It's it's an incredible, incredibly dope album. Um, so I mean. To say that it's dope is a huge understatement. Um, as far as the impact, man, this was very impactful for them. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, this album went gold for the Roots. Um, they weren't an, they weren't a group that was, and still aren't a group that was known for selling a whole bunch of records. They have their hardcore fans. Um, even prior to them going to uh, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, they had their hardcore fans, man. But you know, the Roots. They're a self-contained unit, man. So they don't really have a lot of MCs coming from the outside. Uh, and I think the impact that they had was that they really, really made a statement, um, you know, in hip hop. And and they were, like Black Thought said, infinitely going against the grain. That's exactly what they did. And I think that makes their statement as to what they did with this album in hip hop 
uh, even more compelling because they were almost, you know, they, I mean, like, that's what they wanted to do. Like, they were adamant about being uh, different and being and going against the grain as far as, far as what mainstream hip hop was, con- was concerned. Um, as far as the longevity, uh, this album is a great listen. This album is a very easy listen. This album is a very pre- pleasurable listen. Um, I think this is an album that, uh, for me, I get enjoyment each time that I listen to this album. Full disclosure, I listen to this album every week. <laughs> this is a dope-ass album, man. Um, but it's, it's feel-good music, man. I, like, I can't... I don't think you can put this album on and not feel good and not take something away from it. And I think one of the things that is that is very impressive to me about Illadelph Half-Life is that even 20 years later, I think you still gain something. You still pick up little nuggets. You still catch little things, little uh, uh, whether it be a drum pattern from Questlove, whether it be something that Malik B said, um, whether it be something that Black Thought said. Uh, I think you you pick something up each time that you listen listen to this album. The longevity. This album is a feel good album, and I think that it will continue to make you feel good, not just beyond twenty years or thirty years, but throughout the test of time. This is an incredible album. So there it is, man. Number two on the certified top five uh, hip hop albums from nineteen ninety six. The legendary The Roots crew coming in with Illadelph Half Life. The Roots. And before I forget, I almost forgot uh, my fave four. Um, man, this is tough because uh, I love every track. <laughs> I love every track on this album. Um, my favorite four, man, in no particular order, the Concerto of a Desperado, uh, Clones. Um, man, this is tough when you break it down. The Hypnotic. Uh, D'Angelo on the hook. Um, <laughs> the hypnotic is incredible, man. You got to listen to the story, the way he breaks it down. Um, probably if I had to pick one um, for my fourth one would be uh, what they do. Um, Lost Generation, Fast Place Nation. The principles of true hip hop have been forsaken. It's all contractual and about money making. Come on, man. Are you serious? <laughs> that still applies to this day. You, you can't beat that, man. You can't beat that. I mean, I, I could I could literally spit that whole verse right here. Uh, but for the sake of time, I won't. Um, but yeah, man, what they do, uh, my favorite track on the... That, that is my favorite track on the album. Um, but uh, if I had to give you my favorite for it, be what they do, Concerto of a Desperado, Clones, hypnotic as i mentioned coming in at number two the legendary roots crew with illadelph half-life number one jay-z reasonable doubt well 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 we are here where are we (laughs) we're at number one uh the certified number one the best album in 19 best hip hop album in 1996 Jay-Z's Reasonable Doubt. Uh this album dropped July 25th uh 1996. Um this album I think one of the things that 
uh, is interesting about this album is that this album was certified and is is widely considered in most hip hop circles to be a classic. Uh, the interesting thing about this album is that when it came out in 1996, it wasn't viewed as a classic. <laughs> I mean, it was viewed as a very, very good album, but you know, you didn't listen to it the first time you heard it and said, yo, this is a classic. I wish I had time to talk about how you can't listen to a classic the first time that you hear it and say that it's a classic because a classic becomes a classic over a period of time. That's another subject for another day. Uh, maybe we'll do a podcast on that. But the thing that's interesting about this, as I mentioned, uh, at first listen, you know, when I first heard this album, no, there's no way that I thought that this album would be uh, lauded and heralded as it is uh, today. Uh, it was in, when it came out in June of 1996, um, Jay-Z was relatively an unknown, if you will. I mean, like he had, he, he was known in New York City in the tri-state area. He wasn't as big, uh, obviously. Um, he had, by the time the album came out, he had the hit single, Ain't No, um, which was, you know, a, a club banger or what have you. But, um, Jay-Z was a guy who was actually shopping for a record deal. So it wasn't like he was a household name <laughs> or anything like that. Um, I think this album, from a historical standpoint, as I mentioned, it, it, nobody viewed it as a classic when they first heard it. Um, but also, this album did not like sell through the roof. Uh, this album subsequently went platinum, but... Uh, it is one of Jay-Z's initially, I think midway through his career, one of his, one of his least selling albums. Um, and that speaks volumes to where it wasn't. And I don't, I don't think that you necessarily have to have uh, five million records sold for it to be a great album or a classic or anything like that. Uh, this album over a period of time, as you listen to it, as it grows, as you as you, you know, entrench yourself in the lyrics and the, and the rhythms and the beats and the design of this album, uh, that's how it became a classic. And it became, became a classic over just like anything else over a period of time. Um, but this album by far is the best album of 1996. Uh, Jay-Z, as I mentioned, was, you know, he, he was a relatively unknown guy. He was a guy who really at the time that this album was recorded probably still had one foot in the streets uh still in the crack game um and it's reflective through this music this this album uh <clears throat> listens as a cautionary tale as to you know what can happen in the street life what happens when you know you uh grow up hustling and how he came about to be uh jay-z's often said that uh, it took him, you know, 26, 27 years to write Reasonable Doubt uh, because it was building up through his lifetime. Um, but this album came at a great time and it came at a, a, a dire time in hip hop where uh, I'm not going to say hip hop needed a savior, but it needed a break from what was going on on, on the between the East and the West. Um, you know, and, and he sided and became friends with Biggie. And, you know, therefore aligned himself <laughs> in Tupac's uh, direct uh, math of path of dissension, if you will. Um, 
but I think this 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 album basically tells a a harrowing uh, story, like like a coming of age story, as a guy who you know came up in the projects and he he, he found himself telling a story that he had lived and, and many like him had lived um, in New York City, and I think one thing reasonable doubt does is that it, it sets the landmark and it sets the bar by which Jay-Z is measured. Jay-Z, um, unlike a lot of other MCs, Jay-Z's albums are measured by reasonable doubt. Uh, anytime Jay-Z drops an album, you says, okay, well, where does it rank? And the first thing people say, well, it's not as good as reasonable doubt. Uh, you know, to be honest, he'll never make an album as good as reasonable doubt. Um, and, and that's saying a lot because his first effort was incredible. It was a phenomenal project. It was um, very well put together uh, lyrically. Uh, and I'll talk about the lyrics in just a second. It was crazy. Um, and I think what he does is he he makes it sound like he's his, his storytelling ability almost. And, and I tell people all the time, like this album sounds like The Godfather. Like you're telling a cautionary tale as to what could happen if you are, you know, in the streets or you're living this lifestyle. Um, he, while he glorifies it to some degree, he also condemns it as well. And then at the end, he lives to talk about the regrets of what happened. Um, speaking of regrets, regrets is a song that you know, um, you know, where he talks about, you know, almost in in, in essence, you know, what it's like growing up and then he also is very reflective um one of the things one of the lines that jumped out to me was that he said you know talking about this game i'm all caught up in it uh he said they make it so you can't prevent it um and then in the last verse he, he talks about the ghost of a dead friend and he's pondering and, and thinking about whether or not he should you know another old friend that he's beefing with whether or not he should really go to war with this guy um and he said you know he has to live with that regret so this album, I think, from regrets to, you know, 22 twos, it takes you the evils. It takes you everywhere. I mean, like he, he really takes you on an emotional an emotional coaster ride, roller coaster ride with him as to how he goes about, um, you know, his feelings and, and how he lived his life. Um, lyrically, this album is impeccable. I don't think lyrically Jay-Z could ever deliver something as poignant as this album is um from like i said from 22 twos to uh friend foe um i mean like jay-z delivers on every single track uh feeling it uh can't knock the hustle um i mean like he he just literally blows me away and blows the listener away with his his storytelling and things of that nature um so lyrically it's crazy uh, Production-wise, I mean, he's got production from Irv Gotti, uh, from Premier, from uh, oh man, I, I, I forgot his name. Um, and my name, <laughs> my mind is drawing a blank here. Uh, but he got he uh, Easy Mo B. Um, he got production from a lot of different people. Um, and and this album, man, was just the production was flawless, man. I mean, like he, he literally delivers and the production is, it, it doesn't overshadow what it is Jay-Z's doing lyrically. It actually blends in and fits well with his subject matter. Um, but yeah, the production is crazy. Um, as far as dopeness, man, this album, now I will, I'll put it like this. This album dropped in, in June. I want to say 
maybe around August, September of that year. Like by that time, the album started to catch fire in the streets. I mean, like people really were like, yo, you got that Jay's. And here's the thing, like the album, I don't know what it was with with the, the, the distribution, but they didn't ship a lot of copies. So I distinctly remember it being a case where by late August, early September, you could go in a record store and you couldn't find the album. Like, so that made it even more exclusive and made it even more dope because like the people who had Reasonable Doubt, by the time the streets were really, really trying to catch on, there weren't a lot of albums there. And again, this is the pre-internet era, so it's not like you can go download it. So you either got a dub from somebody or you had the album. So fortunately for me, I had the album, but I know a lot of cats who, you know, as the as the album was growing and singles were being released, um, they couldn't find it in stores. And I don't know what happened, and maybe some things went backward. I don't know what the case was, but they didn't ship a lot of copies. So, and maybe that's you know to blame for some of the the the, the sales that it didn't have initially. Um, but uh, as Ain't No took up the charts. Uh, took off on the charts, um, you know, this album became even more and more dope because you couldn't find it. And you had people clamoring for it and then they couldn't find it. So there was a level of frustration. But at the same time, uh, it, it, if you had it, you know, it made it, it it made it exclusive. So, you know, people wanted to cop what you had. Um, so that, that in and of itself made it dope. Uh, as far as the impact, uh, the impact on this album wasn't initially felt as much as it was later. Uh, as I mentioned, as time moved on, by the time this album had been on the shelves for at least six months, uh, that's when you really started to feel the impact. As uh, you, you delved into the lyricism that Jay-Z displayed, um, you were able to understand a little bit as far as like what he was bringing to the game. And he championed himself as someone, someone who wanted to make this was going to be his only album and it turned out to be uh the first among many for him um but yeah man i i, I shudder to think what would have happened to jay-z's career if he had stopped after reasonable doubt if he stopped after reasonable doubt it would have been great but i mean we would have never known you know the genius and, and the lyrical display of jay-z uh but this album man um it, it, the impact was was crazy uh longevity as far as the longevity, I think this is very key. I think this album, uh, this is another album that I listen to weekly. Uh, this album, man, is funny. Like, I still find myself picking up on things, hearing things that I didn't hear five years ago, think, hearing things I didn't hear 10 years ago, 15 years ago, or 20 years ago when the album came out. Um, I think... The longevity speaks to this album because, like I said, it's heralded as, as a classic. Uh, but when you listen to Reasonable Doubt, it doesn't sound dated. It doesn't sound like it's out of place. Um, it sounds very much in the now. And I think, um, you know, if you compare, and I hate to do this, but if you compare the music that Jay-Z's making now as opposed to what he made back then, it, the, the music that he made back then sounded, it, it was a 96 sound. But the sound doesn't sound old at all. If you listen to, you know, his last few albums, it sounds like in the now and it's just for that particular time. Uh, you listen to Magna Carta, Holy Grail, which I thought was an awful album. Um, if you listen to that album, 
it sounds like something that came out for that particular time. And if you were living in that particular time, whatever year it came out, I forget. <laughs> but and I don't really care to even look it up. Uh, if you look at that time, it was just for that time. Like there's very little replay value on that album. And, and you can say that for a few of Jay, more than a few of Jay-Z's albums. Um, this album, you can't say that for. I think the replay value is is tremendous. Uh, this is an album that personally I never grow tired of listening to because I'm constantly hearing something different, constantly gaining something from the music. Um, my, my favorite four, and it's hard to pick a favorite four. I'm going to start off with, um, you know, I can actually list these in order as far as my favorites. Um, my fourth favorite song on the album, uh, Can't Knock the Hustle. Um, Mary J on the hook, uh, Queen of R&B. <laughs> Can't be Mary J. Um, but um, I like when he said, you know, he said, play fake rappers like a, a, a campus that serve like Sampras. Um, you know, so he, he's rapping about, you know, that lifestyle, but he's also giving you an idea that, you know, this isn't anything long term. He said, I'm making short term goals when the weather folds. Um, so it wasn't like, you know, he, he, he sounded like somebody was getting into the game, but he knew that if he didn't get out of the game soon enough, it was going to it was going to end the video. Uh, is it, is pretty cool too if you get a chance to check out the video. Um, my third favorite uh, song on the album, uh, "Dead Presidents 2. Um, first of all, the the beat with the piano riff um, is dope. Uh, I think that's a sample of Lonnie Liston Smith's uh, "A Garden's Place." Um, I mean, he he basically delivers a, a ghetto story. Uh, of, of a you know fellow drug dealer getting shot up and you know he, he he tells you about how it was in the game and in that lifestyle and it makes you feel like uh, you know you were there. He mentioned about Mike Macheteing your flow, <laughs> Mike Macheted your flow. I mean like that's crazy in and of itself. Um, a lot of criminal references, but I mean he makes you feel like you know if you've never sold dope in your life like you were there. Um, second favorite song. Uh, is the, uh, uh, the 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 joint with Biggie, um, Brooklyn's Finest. I think I love this song, man, because I think it gives us a glimpse as to what uh, could have been and what should have been between Jay Z and Biggie. Now, Jay Z's received a lot of criticism uh, for quote unquote biting Biggie's rhymes and stuff like that. I think, and, and Jay Z addressed him, you know, saying that he's just bigging up his brother. I think, and you know, it's always been, you know, a question as to how big Jay-Z would have been had Big not lived. I think Jay-Z would have still been big because they were planning to be in a group together called The Commission. Um, but I, I love hearing them going back and forth on this one. Uh, Biggie said if Faye have twins, she probably have two Pox. Uh, you know, going back to the room about Faith sleeping with uh, uh, Tupac. Um, I love that, man. I, I love this song, man. I love hearing it back and forth. And I feel, you know, you always feel a little cheated when you hear this song, man, because, um, you know, you, you wonder what could have been. Uh, and then my favorite song on the album, surprisingly, is Can I Live? Um, love this song, man. He said, man, we all fiends, even the righteous minds got to go through it. Uh, he sounds stressed out, man, but he also sounds reflective as to you know, what the drug dealing life and, 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 and being immersed in that life and then what comes with, it. um, you know, he said, I'd rather die enormous than live dormant. That's how we on it. <laughs> I mean, come on, 
Come on, man. I mean, I love this song, man. This is my favorite track. Uh, I've mentioned on previous podcasts that my least favorite song on the album, uh, a lot of people love the song, is Ain't No. Uh, I could personally do without that song. That's the one skip for me. And it's only because the song just, I just got tired of hearing. It's not that it's a bad song. I think it's a good song. Foxy flows on that one. Um, even if Jay wrote our lyrics. Uh, <laughs> that's another story for another day. Um, but nonetheless, man, I think it was um, Can I Live is, is, is my favorite song on the album. Uh, never get tired of listening to it. Never get tired of listening to this album in its entirety. Uh, so there you have it. Uh, the certified top five hip-hop albums from 1990, ni- 1996. Uh, so here's what I'm going to implore that you do. If you have some questions or if you don't think that my list was good or if you have an issue hit me up hit me up on twitter at 12 kyle the number one two k-y-l-e or you can leave a comment on itunes on stitcher or on soundcloud uh i would encourage anyone to listen to the album from 1996 listen to them and listen to them well and then i would challenge you to base your top five on lyricism, production, dopeness, impact, and longevity. And tell me what five you can come with. I'm all ears. That's going to do it for me. I'm your host, 12 Kyle. I'll catch you guys next time. 5,000.